Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A guy was cycling to work at about six o'clock in the morning. And he saw he saw flames and and you know something on fire, and they obviously wanted to know why he was on fire, why why he was dead. If the victim were to be nine years old or or a you know seventy five year old woman or, or in a pensioner or something, it's probably not even going to make a headline. It's not they're not going to certainly not make a front page story. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Some mothers would do anything for their sons and Sophie Coconis proved her loyalty. Drug dealer Loika Gee's body was discovered by a cyclist at Mitcham Common in September 2020, which led police in London to the home of Raphael Coconis, a 34-year-old who's believed to have owed him money. But their investigations didn't stop at the assault which led to his death after he was invited around to Raphael's flat and instead led officers to the door of his elderly mother who they discovered had helped him in the cover-up. Today I'm talking with journalist Chris Summers, editor of Total Crime, who covered their trial. He tells me the story of a drugs row, of a crime scene deep clean and of a family matriarch who went a step beyond to help her son. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Sophia Kokinos, uh, unusual to see the matriarch of a family before the courts. They are usually, the women usually work away in the background and maybe don't take such a hands-on role in anything. But um, you've been watching this and very small in stature, lady, I have to say, from the photographs I've seen of her making her way in and out of court. It, does she look like a, an ordinary granny? Yeah, actually, the, the police have put out a mugshot of her as well, which uh, doesn't uh, do her many favours either. Um, yeah, but I mean, she's 70 years of, old, years of age and she's obviously had a hard life. And uh... Has she a conviction herself dating back some time? I think maybe when she was in her 50s, she was caught up with something. Well, she was actually uh, acquitted of that charge. Uh, so, yeah, 
I mean, she might be quite a, a cunning uh, gangland matri- matriarch, possibly, or or entirely innocent woman up until now. Okay. Anyway. Up until now. And now what we know is that she's been convicted of helping her son uh, clean up after a murder. My mother would be horrified if she received that phone call, I have to say, and it would take quite a lot to horrify her. But definitely if I told her I had a body in the uh, in the house and I needed help getting rid of it, I think <clears throat> that would be the final straw. So what happened and when did this, this occur? In September 2020, the police uh, were suddenly tipped off Rather bizarrely, I mean, a horrible way to discover something like this. Not there's a, probably a nice way, but um, a guy was cycling to work uh, on a like an early shift about six o'clock in the morning, and he was cycling along a road which is sort of runs past the perimeter of Mitcham Common, which is a kind of a quite large area of open land in South London, and he saw he saw flames and and you know something on fire. It, it later emerged that that was the body of Jean-Luc uh, Guay, which had been set alight about two hours earlier. So it was quite, you know, odd that it was still burning. Mm. But, yeah, so immediately the police uh, knew, you know, something's up here. And um, they 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 realised during their investigation that Guay was actually, um, you know, it was a drug dealer, um, I think sort of mid-level, not not big, big time, but not, you know, tiny either. So he, he was dealing in sort of tens of thousands of pounds worth of drugs. And they obviously wanted to know why he was on fire, why, why he was dead. The two hours a body burning, was there any way for them to discover exactly how he had been killed? Or was that evidence destroyed? That was also a really strange thing. I can, I can only... I, I, I think that probably explains why, um, you know, his killer was convicted of manslaughter rather than murder because the post-mortem um, really, well, couldn't explain. He had head injuries, but I don't think, he didn't have a fractured skull. Um, mm. And the, I think reading between the lines, um, there'd been a, you know, a, a fight or a disturbance, a scuffle at... Um, the flat where he was sort of ambushed, basically. And he obviously was hit on the head with something. And he he fell, you know, fell down. And I I think they, they sort of think that he might have just sort of choked on his own blood or, or um, mm-hmm. died. They just a, don't, they don't know. They don't know the they actual know cause of death. His injuries mm. were not sort of bad enough that it was absolutely so clear. You can only mm. have a murder charge, you know. So, um yeah, so they... And not to get too graphic here, although I'm going to get a little bit, but presumably after the fire that the only remains were bone and organs, etc., which may have shown cause of death were, were no longer testable. That was the other strange thing, that um, it was it was not, you know, I, again, not to get too graphic, but from what, I, from what we were hearing in court, the body was not totally destroyed, like like you're thinking of. Like I imagined after two two hours of being on fire, but the I don't know whether they put um, you know an accelerant only on parts of the body. I think it was just the torso um, that was burnt, and you know the, the the limbs were not burnt, and I think the 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 head was um, fairly you know imp- intact. So there was quite a lot of um, you know there's quite a lot for the pathologist to to go on when it came to uh, looking into that 
So I challenge you then on saying that Granny Coconus might have known what she was doing because obviously she has just been convicted here yeah. <laughs> in relation to helping in this situation. But where we had been was in her son Raphael Coconus's apartment. And he'd gone there as this kind of row had ensued a month previous over a drug debt, which is what we constantly hear really in these gang-related killings. There's always money owed. There's accusations of drugs going missing or somebody gets in the frame for, you know, not paying up. And they're always kind of like when you consider a life, a small amount of money. But when you consider trying to gather that over, you know, a 40,000, in this case, 46,000 euro um, dispute, when you think of trying to have to gather that in cash, I mean, where would you even start? Normal people. But tell us exactly what happened there between those two and uh, how this 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 kind of row had been culminating in in what happened to Gui. Well, from what we understand, uh, Raphael Kokinos, uh, who is one of Sophia's sons, she had several. Um, he was working for Gui, um, uh, either dealing drugs or you know certainly looking after drugs for him, and he he had. Uh, you know, been given uh, an amount of cocaine, 40 grand's worth of cocaine to look after. And it went missing, um, apparently during a burglary. Um, now, this apparently was a real burglary because Raphael Kokonos reported it to the police, but he didn't, he strangely didn't mention the drugs that had been taken. He only mentioned um, some jewellery, about £20,000 worth of jewellery. So he, he reported that to the police. So it sounds like he was actually burgled. Um, you know, as you imagine, you know, sometimes people know who, you know, who has drugs in their house and it may have mm. been that, you know, they knew exactly what they were going to find. Uh, anyway, so Gwei says to him, you know, well, that's your debt. You know, that's you were looking after it. You owe me 40,000. And he was a huge guy. He was like, um, I think he was at least six foot two, uh, 18 stone, kind of a scary dude so um you don't want to mess with him um and he wanted his 40 grand back and it went on for quite a while there was evidence of a lot of phone calls between the you know the Kokonos family um I think Raphael called his mother quite an early point saying you know what am I going to do about this um of course we don't know whether you know whether he really knew what happened to the drug you know drugs and whether there was more to it than that um, but at the end, at the end of the day, he he kept saying to Gwei, "Yeah, I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you. I've come up with some of the money. If you come to my flat in Streatham, in, in South London, uh, I can give it to you." He then Raphael then gets one of his friends to come over. I think he just sort of wants some backup in case it all goes badly wrong, which it did. Um, we don't know exactly what happened, but a fight breaks out and. Uh, Gway, who, who was a bigger guy, but um, maybe he was being caught by surprise. Um, he he ends up dead on the floor, and um, uh, Raphael Kokonos's friend just immediately runs away. He just he he flees back to uh, Cambridge, um, and was a, he was eventually acquitted of the manslaughter because you know he just I guess he just said, "Well, I had, I had no idea, you know, anything like that was going to happen." Um, Anyway, and then Raphael has this body to uh, to dispose of, quite a large body as well. 
from a flat in central South London, a busy area. So do do we know what happened next? How do they get the body from there to the to the field? It takes space. It takes place uh, over two two separate nights. The first night, um, the body is is somehow taken it put into a car. Um, I think possibly in a suitcase or um, you know packaged up. So any 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 neighbours nosy neighbours don't see exactly what it is. Um, you know, in the middle of the night as well, it's put in a car and um, taken away. And then the flat is cleaned up quite to, to some extent because obviously there's a lot of blood. Um, and then the following night, again in the middle of the night, about four o'clock in the in the morning, uh, they take the body. Uh, well, Raphael drives his Mercedes with the with the car in the in the body in the back to Mitchum Common. His mother follows behind. Um, you know the matriarch. She follows behind in her own car. Um, she doesn't appear to go to the actual scene where the, where the body was set on fire, but she, she stays in phone contact with her son. So she presumes, you know, it sounds like she's sort of guiding him or certainly, uh, operating maybe as a spotter in case any police or anyone comes along. Yeah. She may have been the, that doing that role. Um, anyway, and then, uh, they, they drive off thinking that they've got, you know, got rid of him and, uh, in, in, in it comes back to bite them. Now, seven people in total were uh, brought in on this and charged before the courts. There was a number of acquittals. Um, A brother of Raphael is found not guilty of perverting the course of justice, um, a friend also, and two others are found uh, not guilty. But Raphael himself is found guilty of manslaughter after he pleads guilty, if I'm correct. Yeah, he pleaded Um, guilty straight away. Quite early, yeah. And his mother, Sophia, who pleaded not guilty to perversion the course of justice, but ultimately was convicted of that. Um, it was a strange set of circumstances, but I think ultimately what you're getting is a little window into the underworld and what goes on, what happens and who can and, and will be capable of being involved. There was a couple of things there as well that I noticed jump out at me as regards to Raphael, who is, by the way, he's the older of, uh, you know, for being an underling of Gui, who's only 23. He's 34, quite significantly older than his drug boss. Um, but he, there's some trappings of wealth there. He's reporting 20,000 worth of jewellery being stolen in a burglary. Whether that was or wasn't, we don't know. He certainly reported that. He's driving a Mercedes car with his boss's body in the boot. He's obviously been making some money in um, in the in the underworld. And ultimately, he is up to this point a nobody. I mean, these people haven't really come on the radar in, in London gangland terms. You know, Dublin itself, we know certain characters that come to the fore again and again and we speak about them. But there's hundreds of others who are beneath the radar. And clearly in London, given the size and scale of the city, it's that multiplied by God knows what. What is the gang scene like there? And, you know, what sort of a percentage do you feel of these these crimes are actually coming before the Old Bailey where you cover I went, yeah, well, there there are a lot of these sort of low-level, um, fairly low-level drug dealers um, who are, I mean, I, I dealt with another case um, a year or so ago 
which were involving a guy uh, who was who was murdered, uh, drugs drugs involved. Um, very very grisly case. He, he was his body was chopped up, but again, mm. not not linked to any major sort of crime family you've ever heard of, or you know the mafia, or or even even on any Irish gangs. You know they're, they're just. Um, you know, they're getting their drugs from somewhere and they're they're selling it on down at street level. But these these people are constantly, you know, backstabbing each other, ripping each other off, don't really trust each other. So it's a really you know, it's a recipe for murder, you know. The, yeah, and, and, and they're they're very, as you say, grisly, these murders that do come before the courts, um, you know, in the ordinary world, killing somebody bundling them into the boot of a car, travelling across a city and setting them alight in a field. You know, you wouldn't hear that too often outside of of gangland crime. I often wonder with London, um, you know, most people still associated with the East End and with the craze and all those famous names of the past. But London is such a majorly multicultural city. Um, And when we travel to it, you kind of you know, you do really, that really stands out even even from Ireland, which is getting, it's getting increasingly more multicultural over the past few decades, but it's nowhere near London. What do you have in London? Do you have areas, do you have the city divided into areas anymore? Are, are estates literally divided? Or do you have multicultural gangs ruling ruling particular turf? Well, I mean, the, the, at the street level, the, you know, the, the main gangs, you know, the who are tend to be sort of young guys in their late teens to early twenties. Um, although obviously sometimes they they stay in those gangs or they go to prison, come back out again, but they're still kind of affiliated. Then so they might be in their thirties, but they they are you know the gangs like Tottenham Mandem, um, people like that. Uh, they they tend to be sort of. Um, they represent the demographic of where they're from. So Hackney, Tottenham, mm. you know, they, they would be largely uh, black British or Afro-Caribbean, some white kids, some uh, mm. Greek Cypriot, Turkish Cypriot. Nowadays, quite a lot of um, Eritrean and, you know, uh, all sorts of uh, nationalities that have come in as migrants, Albanians, Kosovans, mm. um, you know, whoever, whoever's growing up in that area will join that gang. Um but they, I, 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 obviously I'm wary of generalising. But you know they, they tend to um, a lot of them. Uh, another case in northwest London gangs from Stonebridge, quite a famous area. They, they, they are mainly uh, black British gangs. Um, mm. You know, with sometimes you know Jamaican influences or um, you know basically rap culture. Um, you know, obviously, quite often grime artists and stuff like that. So, they're, they're your sort of your retailers of of drugs, as it were. Mm. Um, but above them are you know wholesalers, um, and then you know above them, even you know the biggers. You know, like the well, I guess wherever they're getting their drugs, ultimately it could be Mexican cartels or um, Colombians, Russians. But yeah, the the um, it's definitely very trans-global, the drugs world, um, you know, and accepting of all cultures that doesn't, that sort of racism thing doesn't really exist within it. It's whoever has money and uh, is willing to do business is welcome. But 
like is most of the gangland crime, will the groups go to war against one another or do they kind of stick within their own cultural groupings and, you know, fight infight within that? Yeah, well, you do get a lot. You do get um, infighting within uh, ethnic groups. For example, the Tottenham Turks and the Hackney Turks are two very, 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 you know, arch rival gangs who are both Turkish stroke Kurdish um, Mm. from North London. Um, In fact, just today, the uh, Jermaine Baker inquiries come out, which was a guy, a young black guy who was shot dead. He was planning, he was um, part of a gang that were about to spring a guy called Izzet Eren, who's one of the leaders of the Tottenham Turks. Um, so there, there's been quite an interesting. I've been I've been looking at that those gangs. It's quite interesting how the the you know Tottenham Turks and the Hackney Turks, both of them tend to employ uh, you know black guys to do a lot of their dirty work. Mm. You know, do killings, um, assassinations, etc. Do you mean outside their own ethnic group? They'll employ. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, so. A, Turkish, like the Eren family, who who are basically the Turkish, the Tottenham Turks, and mm. the the Armagan family, who are the Hackney Turks. They a lot of you know cases where they've been, um, you know, that in a murder case where they're killing a rival, but um, the actual gunmen are you know black British um, mm. gunmen. So um, you know cases where. You know, a Turkish guy is shot down and you think, there's the suspect running away, it's a black guy. So you think, hmm, how can that be Turkish? But obviously they're doing yeah. it on the orders of their Turkish paymasters. Mm, mm. And does it cause like an issue with policing? I'm sure like they will use in order to disrupt any surveillance activities on them. I'm sure they will use their own languages and at times their own dialects. Does that make it, more, you know, increasingly difficult for police to, you know, to try and break into these gangs and gain intelligence on them? Or has the police force in itself become as multicultural as the gangs? Well, no, it definitely does make it more difficult. Um, I think they they probably struggle to recruit. Um, I mean, traditionally, there, there has been a lot of resistance among in the sort of black uh, Afro-Caribbean community in London to join the police. You know, it was, it's a bit like in Northern Ireland where if you're a Catholic, you don't tend to mm. join the police or don't, you know, it's it's kind of seen as not the done thing. Um, and no, they're not trusted. And so there, there have been that difficulties. Also difficulties getting enough Turkish officers, Albanian officers, you know, who can speak the language and, and, and you know, fit in and blend in as undercover mm. officers or whatever. So yeah, that is that is definitely a difficulty. I mean, I'm in an unrelated case uh, recently where um, there's a, a police officer who's clearly um, you know English, and uh, he was he was sort of overhearing a conversation between the guy he was he was following and, and another guy, and they. They were talking in Jamaican patois, and he obviously had no, didn't really, uh, couldn't really follow what they were talking about. So mm. it's obviously difficult. So it helps the criminals, like they'll use everything. Um, I wanted to ask you 
that the last couple of stories we've spoken about that have come from the Old Bailey, that these these significant, I suppose, underworld murders that are happening, um, they're all happening, you know, in broad daylight on streets in London. Is there outrage still or is the like ourselves, are you getting more and more used to these things happening? And it's harder and harder to to outrage the public, really. Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. It's 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 a, a quite a sad sort of blasé uh, attitude by a lot of people. Um, you know, unless you can get you know somebody, if the victim were to be nine years old or or a you know seventy five year old woman or, or in a pensioner or something. Um, it's probably not even going to make a headline. It's not. They're not going to certainly not make a front page story. Um, or Chris, a white woman. I mean, let's say it straight. I mean, you know, a lot of these ethnic cases, people aren't interested in them because they don't feel that they're important enough. But you know, you have a if you had um, you know a white guy dead on the street from a middle class community, there might be more to be said about it. it might even make it to the houses of commons yeah well I, I, it's a controversial point but i, I think you it's, it's surprising how few uh mps in in london for example who will say anything about you know the amount of uh, young people you know young black guys in particular who are being killed every day every week um they're they're, they're, they're you know, frequently criticising the police for a stop and search and this and that, but mm. not, you know, no, you don't very rarely hear an MP step up and say, these gangs are an outrage, you know, what people need to, you know, need to go to the police and, you know, tell them whatever you, you want or, you know, this is this is a tragedy that this is happening to our young people. Mm. It's, I, 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 it's a very controversial political subject, so I better not say any more. But it's um... was there anybody there for the victim in this case? I mean, he's twenty three. He's a uh, he's a he's a drug dealer. You know, he's he's somebody who is living by the sword. Was there anybody in court for him? Was there anybody there speaking out for him? Yeah, I mean, he he was like uh, obviously, you know, you read about it, and it sounds like just a two dimensional bad guy um, drug dealer. But he he obviously meant a lot to people. His um, his girlfriend was in court, uh, Simone. Uh, and his, I think, I think they might have had a child together. I think, and his mother was absolutely distraught. You know, every time I saw her in court, she was, she looked, you know, like she was struggling to hold it together. Um, mm. uh, only last week they they put off the sentencing, and um, she just, you know, she just ran out of the court sobbing. You know, she just obviously she wanted some closure. She wanted the people who killed her son to or the person who killed her son to um to get a substantial sentence and it was put off uh you know reasons of convenience to the defendants which must have really you know hurt and was there any reaction from her for example to the other mother in this case Sophia Kokinos who's the matriarch of the family and who has been convicted and is now for perverting the course of justice is now facing a sentence, albeit it won't be very lengthy, I imagine, but she will be be facing prison. But was there any reaction between the two mothers or any interaction between them? No, but I not yet. But I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, when she's eventually sentenced that, that, that it breaks out. I mean, it was I, I think the police had been on the, the 
the court clerks, it's the ushers had been doing a, a job keeping them apart because Sophia Kokinos was on bail. Um, I, you know, I saw her outside the court during the trial, during the trial and, and after on that day of the supposed sentencing and um, Jean-Luc Gouet's mother, you know, was a, a, mingling in the same corridor. So, they, they they could easily have sort of bumped into each other, um, mm. and um, yes, that could have. So I imagine they were they were being kept apart, you know, different parts of the building. Well, it just shows it's a little bit of an eye opener into that world and how little life is worth. And um, but at the same time, I think, and you see it all the time in your work, how many people are left behind to grieve, and you know, each life does mean something to to, to families. So. Chris Summers, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.